0: Greetings. Welcome to Fresh Pet's fourth quarter and fiscal year 2023 earnings call. At this time, all participants are in listen-only mode. The question and answer session will follow the formal presentation. If anyone today should require operator assistance during the conference, please press star zero from your telephone keypad. Please note, this conference is being recorded. At this time, I'll now turn the conference over to Rachel Ullsh, Vice President of Investor Relations. Ms. Ullsh, you may now begin your presentation.
1: Thank you. Good morning, and welcome to FreshBet's fourth quarter and fiscal year 2023 earnings call and webcast. On today's call are Billy Sear, Chief Executive Officer, and Todd Comfort, Chief Financial Officer. Scott Morris, Chief Operating Officer, will also be available for Q&A. Before we begin, please remember that during the course of this call, management may make forward-looking statements within the meaning of the Private Securities Litigation Reform Act of 1995. These include statements related to our long-term strategy, focus, 2027 goals, case in achieving these goals, prospects for growth and new technologies, and 2024 guidance. Words such as believe, could, estimate, expect, guidance, intend, may, project, will, or similar conditional expressions are intended to identify forward-looking statements. These statements are based on management's current expectations and beliefs and involve risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results to differ materially from those described in these forward-looking statements, including those associated with such statements and inaccuracies in third-party data. Please refer to the company's annual report on Form 10-K filed with the Securities and Exchange Commission and the company's press release issued today for detailed discussions of the risks that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed or implied in any forward-looking statements made today. Please note on today's call, management will refer to certain non-GAAP financial measures such as EBITDA and adjusted EBITDA among others. While the company believes these non-GAAP financial measures provide useful information for investors, the presentation of this information is not intended to be considered in isolation or as a substitute for the financial information presented in accordance with GAAP. Please refer to today's press release for how management defines such non-GAAP measures, why management believes such non-GAAP measures are useful, a reconciliation of the non-GAAP financial measures, the most comparable measures prepared in accordance with GAAP, and limitations associated with such non-GAAP measures. Finally, the company has produced a presentation that contains many of the key metrics that will be discussed on this call. That presentation can be found on the company's investor website. Management's commentary will not specifically walk through the presentation on the call, Rather, it is a summary of the results and guidance they will discuss today. With that, I would like to turn the call over to Billy Sear, Chief Executive Officer.
2: Thank you, Rachel, and good morning, everyone. The message I would like you to take away from today's call is that we believe Fresh Pet has reached an inflection point on its journey towards becoming not only a sizable, but profitable business in the emerging, fresh, frozen segment of the pet food market. We delivered the strong growth you've come to expect from us, but also turned a corner on our profitability and are on our way towards delivering the kind of profitability and cash flow one would expect of a market leader. In 2023, we made significant progress on nearly all the metrics we set out to deliver. And if we continue to execute as we did in 2023, we will prove that with increased scale comes increased profitability and in turn, shareholder value. Our Feed the Growth strategy, which we implemented in 2017, was driven by our dual beliefs that fresh pet food is a scale-driven business and that it was also important to maximize our first-mover advantage before competitors entered the fresh pet food market. Our transition to a fresh future plan last year reflected our belief that we were at the point where we have achieved sufficient scale and first-mover advantage such that we can begin to pivot to delivering the profitability that should come with that scale. Our 2023 results show the initial indications of our ability to drive that profitability, and we believe there is a significant opportunity to drive further profit improvement going forward. Now let me walk you through some highlights for the fourth quarter and full year. First, we ended the year with very strong net sales growth and exceeded our expectations. with fourth quarter net sales of 215.4 million, up 30% year over year, driven primarily by volume growth of 25%, and 5% price mix. This strong growth is compared to a very strong quarter last year when we had significant trade inventory refill. The growth was supported by a strong advertising presence and household penetration gains that accelerated throughout the quarter. Second, we continue to see the strong operational improvements our fresh future plans were designed to drive, including sequential improvement in adjusted gross margin, logistics costs, and adjusted EBITDA. Fourth-quarter adjusted gross margin was 41.1%, compared to 40.2% in the third quarter, and 33% in the prior year period. Logistics costs came in at 6.3% in net sales, down from 9.4% in the prior year period, and 6.8% in the third quarter. Fourth-quarter adjusted EBITDA was $31.3 million compared to $23.2 million in the third quarter, and up 67% year-over-year. Fiscal year 2023 was our sixth consecutive year with greater than 25% sales growth, with net sales of $766.9 million, up 29% year over year, on the high end of our targeted range and above our expectations. Full year adjusted EBITDA was 66.6 million, more than three times what we delivered in the previous year. These financial results demonstrate real momentum, the potency of our plans, and the capability of our team. I'm incredibly proud of what we have been able to accomplish. In addition to those financial highlights, we delivered the significant increase in retail presence our retail partners sought as they became increasingly confident in our ability to supply them. Specifically, a record 5,251 fridge placements in 2023, including new stores, upgrades, and second or third fridges, bringing us to a total of 34,274 fridges at retail or more than 1.7 million cubic feet of retail space. As of December 31st, 2023, Fresh Pet could be found in 26,777 stores, more than 22% of which now have multiple fridges in the U.S. These fridge placements and store growth were supported by continued strong fill rates that ended the quarter in the high 90s. In addition to our strong retail business, we have also built a very strong digital business digital orders, which I have previously referred to as e-commerce, we define as any time you order on a phone or desktop. So this includes anything from buy online, pick up in store, to Instacart, Chewy, and Amazon. In 2023, our digital sales increased 58% year over year. And at this point, we are projecting digital orders to be over $100 million of net sales in 2024. The vast majority of our digital orders today are pick up or click and collect which leverages our existing fridge network in retail. According to Nielsen IQ, pickup is also the fastest growing segment of online e-commerce and dog and cat food. During our ICR conference presentation in January, you may recall hearing us talk about the mainstream, main meal, more profitable plans, which I'll simply refer to as main and more. We're making the Fresh Pet brand more mainstream and getting people to use it as a main meal component and this creates intensity and concentration of the business that we believe will allow us to be more profitable. Diving a little deeper into the idea of mainstream, according to Nielsen Omnichannel data, which includes e-commerce and direct-to-consumer, as of December 30th, 2023, total pet food is a $52 billion category. Within that is the $36 billion dog food category, which the majority of our business is today and we have only a 3% market share, which leaves a vast runway for growth. At the same time, we've created a new segment within pet food, fresh frozen pet food, that has gained scale and is growing quickly. Within the fresh frozen subcategory in measured channels, Fresh Pet has a 96% market share. Our goal is to make fresh even more mainstream since our products appeal to a wide range of income groups, We have products for each stage of a pet's life, and are growing our portfolio to better meet the needs of larger dogs. Our household penetration year-end was 11.555 million households, up 19% year-over-year and accelerating towards our target of over 20% household penetration growth. Our high-profit pet-owning households, or HIPPOs for short, grew even faster, up 28% versus year ago. Household penetration has grown fastest with younger Gen Z consumers, and we saw growth across all income groups. We are on pace to meet our target of 20 million households by 2027. Overall retail availability continued to grow, with ACV at year-end of 64%, and we see upside in continued distribution gains going forward. We will continue to focus on depth, too, not just breadth, increasing the percentage of stores with second and third fridges I spoke about earlier. Focusing on the concept of main meal, we know that 40% of fresh pet buyers use the product as the main component of their pet's meal, and there's a huge opportunity to significantly increase this percentage, even with our hippos. 37% of fresh pet users are hippos, and they represented 89% of our sales in 2023. We are using advertising to drive pet parents to feed fresh pet as the main meal item by focusing on healthy food, offering products at a variety of price points, and expanding specialized recipes. The concept of converting coppers into main meal users will increase buy rate, which was $95.86 a year end. Broadening availability of a wider range of our items can help drive more consumers to convert to using Fresh Pet as a main meal item. Adding second and third fridges enables us to do that, and this also drives increased visibility for the brand, amplifying the value of our advertising. Based on mega channel data, we currently have an average of 18.2 SKUs per store, up from 15.8 SKUs one year ago. Turning to the more part of main and more, more profitable, we are enhancing margins through improved operating performance and leveraging scale and efficiency. We believe increased business intensity and concentration will drive increased efficiency, and we are seeing that play out in our margins already fourth-quarter adjusted gross margin was up 810 basis points year-over-year to 41.1%. And adjusted EBITDA as a percent of net sales was 14.5%, compared to 11.3% in the prior year period. Three key areas we've been most focused on have been input costs, logistics, and quality. And we've improved all three this past year. With logistics now only 6.3% of net sales in the fourth quarter down from 9.4% in the prior year period. In total, we improved those three areas by 390 basis points in Q4, and 560 basis points for the full year. Focusing on capacity, we feel good about where we are today. December was an all-time production record across the system, despite the loss of time for holidays, driving very strong fill rates in the high 90s today. And January production topped the December record. All three lines in the first phase of NS are operating today, and that site now accounts for 25% of our total system production. NS phase two construction is on track for the startup of the first roll line by the end of the third quarter of 2024. We've continued to evolve our capacity expansion plans to drive greater capital efficiency. We are very focused on, first, maximizing the output of our existing lines by investing in an operational excellence program designed to increase throughput. We are making good progress on that program in Bethlehem and just started the plan in Ennis. Second, maximizing the capacity of our three existing sites so that we can avoid the high cost of incremental infrastructure and overhead. This means finding ways to get more lines into each of the three sites. We've already announced plans to add a seventh line in Bethlehem. We believe we've found a way to get an additional line or two in Kitchen South And are also looking for ways to get more lines in Ennis. Third, developing new technologies that generate more throughput per line and per square foot of space. We've been working on this for some time and are making good progress, but are not ready to share any details at this time. Overall, 2023 put us ahead of the pace needed to deliver our 2027 goals and gave us increased confidence in our ability to either meet or exceed those goals the strong 29% net sales growth in the year was ahead of what we had projected. As we head into 2024, we intend to manage the growth very closely so that we do not get ahead of capacity or organization capability. Our model works very well at 25% net sales growth over time, generating the right balance of cash generation and capital spending to deliver our financial targets. We do not want to get too far ahead of ourselves and upset that balance. We recovered 400 basis points of adjusted gross margin during the year, ahead of both our target and the pace needed to hit our 2027 target of a 45% adjusted gross margin. And we ended the fourth quarter with an even higher adjusted gross margin at 41.1%, giving us even more encouragement about our ability to deliver our long-term goal. We are well ahead of our long-term logistics target of 7.5% of net sales, delivering the target three years early and ending the year at a rate well below the target. It is clear that we have an opportunity to further improve in logistics and will likely set a new, lower target in the future. Operating cash flow of 76 million was also ahead of our plan and increases our confidence in our ability to fund our growth with no need for additional equity and potentially not even needing any new debt. In summary, we had a very good year and we believe we are on the cusp of profitability with greater scale and efficiency due to increased business intensity and concentration and disciplined capital management. Now, let me turn it over to Todd to walk through the details of the Q4 results and our guidance for 2024. Todd. Thank you, Billy, and good morning,
3: everyone. As Billy mentioned, we had an excellent fourth quarter and a very strong year. Now, I'll give you some more color on our financials and guidance for the year. Fourth quarter net sales were 215.4 million, up 30% year over year. Nielsen measured dollar growth was 28% versus prior year period with broad-based consumption growth across channels. We saw 15% growth in pet specialty, 30% in XAOC, and over 100% growth in the unmeasured channels. Fiscal 2023 net sales were 766.9 million, up 29% year-over-year. Nielsen measured dollar growth was 27% versus prior year, again with broad-based consumption growth across all channels with 18% growth in pet specialty, 29% in XAOC, and approximately 85% growth in the unmeasured channels. Fourth quarter adjusted gross margin was 41.1%, up 810 basis points year over year. This was driven by leverage on plant costs, as well as improvements across our key focus areas, including quality costs fiscal 2023 adjusted gross margin was up 400 basis points year over year to 40.0% driven by progress on our operational improvement plan. Fourth quarter adjusted SG&A was 26.6% of net sales compared to 22.4% in the prior year period. We spent 6.3% of net sales on media in the quarter up approximately $10 million from Q4 last year to help us get off to a fast start in 2024. We saw continued improvement in logistics costs down to 6.3% of net sales, a decrease of 310 basis points compared to the prior year period. Fiscal 2023 adjusted SG&A was 31.3% of net sales, down from 32.9% in the prior year period. Media spend for the year was 11.1% of net sales, up slightly from 10.5% in the prior year. Logistics costs were down to 7.5% of net sales, a 320 basis point improvement over the prior year. Fourth quarter adjusted EBITDA was 31.3 million or 14.5% of net sales compared to 18.7 million or 11.3% of net sales in the prior year period. This improvement exceeded our, our expectations and guidance and was driven by better than expected net sales and strong operating performance and cost of goods sold and logistics. Fiscal 2023 adjusted EBITDA more than tripled year over year to $66.6 million or 8.7% of net sales. Capital spending for fiscal 2023 was 239.1 million in line with our expectations. Operating cash flow was 76 million and we had cash on hand of $297 million at the end of the year, we continue to believe that we have adequate cash to fully fund our growth through 2024, and we will be free cash flow positive in 2026. We also believe that we will have access to traditional, non diluted forms of capital to bridge a gap in 2025 if it occurs. Now, turning to guidance for 2024, we expect net sales of at least $950 million driven by volume and adjusted EBITDA to be in the range of $100 to $110 million. We expect capital expenditures of approximately $210 million to support the installation of capacity to meet demand in 2025, further fridge placements, and ordinary maintenance. It is important to understand that our growth rate directly impacts the capital we need to spend to build capacity. We are closely managing our cash balance, being very disciplined in our media spend, and carefully managing sales growth while expanding capacity and increasing profitability. We exceeded our our expectations for 2023, which is why the net sales growth rate of at least 24% is slightly below our long-term target of 25%. We do not want to get ahead of the capacity build that we are putting in place. In terms of cadence, we expect a fast start to the year based on strong momentum from 2023, with Q1 being the highest percentage net sales growth rate year-over-year. We expect to see sequentially lower net sales growth rates as we progress throughout the year as we manage our growth to deliver the right balance between growth and capital investment, as we talked about earlier. This should not be construed to imply that the business is slowing. Quite the opposite. We are rigorously managing the timing and pace of our advertising investments to regulate the growth so that we can live within our capacity plans and carefully manage the cash required to build capacity. We want to deliver as close to our long term target of 25% net sales growth over time so that we don't get too far ahead of our capacity expansion. We expect an adjusted gross margin expansion of at least 100 basis points and the absolute gross margin percentage to be slightly higher in the second half of the year versus first half. We will have some startup costs on the third line in Ennis in Q1 and additional startup costs on the fourth line in Ennis in Q4. At this point, we have about 70% of our commodity costs locked in for the year and currently expect modest deflation in 2024. We anticipate media to grow in line with sales and we will pull back as necessary to control sales growth lastly we expect sequential quarterly improvement in adjusted EBITDA overall we are proud of our 2023 results and believe we are in a strong position to deliver on our guidance with our with our momentum so far in 2024 with the actions we've taken and continued strong demand for our products we remain confident in our ability to deliver on our fresh future plan and 2027 goals. We believe that when we look back a year or two from now, it will be apparent that 2023 was truly an inflection point for fresh pet and the fresh frozen category. And that fresh pet will be on its way to having a leading share in that segment and delivering the kinds of profits one would expect from the market leader in an emerging high growth market. That concludes our overview. We will now be glad to answer your questions. As a reminder, we ask that you please focus your questions on the quarter, the guidance, and the company's operations. Operator?
0: Thank you. At this time, we'll now be conducting today's question and answer session. If you'd like to ask a question today, please press star 1 from your telephone keypad, and the confirmation tone will to indicate your line is in the question queue. You may press star 2 if you'd like to withdraw your question from the queue. For participants that are using speaker equipment, it may be necessary to pick up your handset before pressing the star keys. One moment, please, while we poll for questions. Our first question today coming from the line of Rupesh Parikh with Oppenheimer. Please proceed with your questions
4: good morning thanks for taking my question also congrats on a strong quarter uh so maybe, maybe to start out just just on the gross margin line you know very strong performance in q4 uh, and it sounds like you guys are guiding for at least 100 basis point improvement this year so maybe todd if you can just walk through the puts and takes that you see on the gross margin line for the year
3: are you talking about 24?
4: Yeah,
5: that's correct yep
3: yeah um so as i mentioned uh in the opening remarks uh we are going to see a little bit of deflation uh, that's our expect- expectation right now on commodities, we'll obviously will have some inflation on our labor and overhead. But uh, we're fortunate enough to lock in a fair amount of our commodities at re- really nice rates right now. So we will see a reduction uh, in our input costs. We anticipate quality costs, which we've made great progress on in 23. We will continue to see some improvements in 24. The kind of the fixed cost labor and overhead, because we're still building out a couple of new lines in Ennis, we're not going to see any progress uh, in, in, for 24 there, that's probably more of a 25, 26, so it's really going to become lower input costs and improved quality are the main drivers.
4: Great. Thank you. Then maybe just one follow-up question, so it sounds like you guys are going to manage to, to your longer-term algorithm for the top line, is there a way to help frame what your capacity is today and where you expect to end by the end of the year?
2: Yeah, Rupesh, um the way to think about this is that we, um, we have to be mindful not just of overall capacity, but we also have to be mindful of capacity by form. And so in this case, what we're really managing to is the NS Phase two first first line is a roll line. So we'll be tight on capacity until that line comes up on the roll segment of the business. We're doing really well on the bag side. And so we're really trying to guide ourselves so we don't end up short shipping anything on the roll side prior to that line coming up and being able to find us the capacity. Once that's in place, we have a pretty good runway until sometime in 25 when the it'll flip around and the tightness will come on the bag side. And we're working very diligently to make sure that we have enough capacity to drive to uh, to accommodate the growth that we've got. But we're literally um, managing ourselves between each of these projects, rolls and bags, rolls and bags, so we can sustain the growth rate that we've got, but we don't wanna get too far ahead of ourselves. Yeah,
3: so right now we have about a billion dollars of total capacity, but as Billy mentioned, there's a little bit of a mismatch. We've got more in the back, on the back side versus the rolls, and then obviously we need to get well above a billion dollars as we get into 25. So it's, it's, really, it's really the, the rolls right now. It's causing us a little bit of an issue.
6: Great.
4: Thank you, Apostle. Thanks, Rupesh.
0: Our next questions are from the line of Brian Holland with DA Davidson. Please proceed with your questions.
7: Yeah. Thanks. Good morning. Uh, Quickly on media. The number came in higher than I was projecting in Q4. Uh, So I'm assuming that maybe it was a little bit higher than what you had communicated and and maybe planned for, you know, prior to the quarter. So just curious if there's anything there uh, that you can speak to with respect to an opportunity that you saw or, or just any logic behind it, it, to the extent that you you increase that number in Q4. And then also just want to understand uh, the, the variability of the media spend as we look out to uh, fiscal 24, uh, you know, uh, with what sort of time horizon can you pull back on that spend as needed?
3: So, so I'll start off and I'll, I'll let Scott answer. So the media, we, we internally kind of planned that number For a while, you know, we we kind of hedged our bets a little bit. We weren't sure, you know, where all the costs would come for the year. So we kind of, you know, kept some back, some dry powder back. But as we saw, the the gross margins and the sales really uh, do very, very well Uh, in Q4. We kind of released all that money.
8: So internally we planned that amount, but externally we hedged our bets a little bit. But uh, it's unusual that we spend uh, that that much in Q4, that this is a year where we actually had capacity, so we ended up spending a little bit more in Q4 than we have historically. That gave us good momentum into Q1. Uh, We're seeing that come through both in consumer penetration um, and also in overall top-line growth, especially in units and pounds. Um, and then the second part of your question was on how how far out or how to how can we manage media? We can make I would say small adjustments within thirty days. We can make more significant and uh, changes and uh, modifications kind of ninety days out is typically how we think about it.
7: Thanks, and then just a follow up on that. Uh, I guess the reason for the question is uh, you know a lot of people asking about uh, your ability to sort of run counter to the trends in premium pet food that we've been seeing for, for quite a while now. And, uh, you know, what might be behind that? Is there a lag effect? Does it ultimately catch up to you? So, uh, you know, you're gonna be at, I guess, north of or, or around about the 100 million of media spend. I believe, you know, another big visible competitor in the space, um, in the fresh frozen space is spending roughly the same, if, if, if not more. And I'm just curious if there's anything anecdotal that you are seeing or any data points you could you can refer to that might might sort of crystallize whether we're at, and you talked about 2023 being an inflection point for the business. And I'm wondering if it's been an inflection point for the, this sub-segment of fresh frozen in food is for sort of redefining uh, premium. So I'm, I'm just curious what you've seen or what you can speak to to that end.
8: Uh, well, let me let me answer the the kind of the in two sections. The first one, um, there has been like I would say, a, you know, a change in overall the category. We, we have not seen, we have not seen any impact. Like others have seen impact uh, in the category with consumers changing their buying behavior. It's been it's been really extraordinary. We're not seeing consumers trade down. We're seeing consumers come in very consistently. Um, and, and you, know, you see that on the penetration growth, you see it on the growth around hippos, um, and we're also seeing it in our media productivity. Like it, the, one of the first signs you start to see is slowing penetration and your media not be as productive. So we're not seeing any of those changes that I think has affected the rest of the category, and I don't anticipate them um, you know, having you know, any significant impact in, in this year, quite honestly. I mean, I think we're through the worst of those that impact over, over 23, I think you're gonna see less and less of that over the course of 24. The second part of your question is, <clears throat> are we an inflection point from a consumer standpoint? And I, uh, this is one of these things where we're moving, we're moving something that's been set, a category that's been set for many, many years uh, around dry and wet food and what people believe and the forms they feed and how they think about it. And what we've tried to tap into for a decade is that, People know that they should be eating a fresher, healthier, and less processed diet. I mean, you hear more and more about processed foods. Now, whether they do it for themselves or not, that's one thing. Now, will they do it for their kids and, quote, unquote, their pets, right? Um, And we are seeing people become more and more aware of that and be willing to make the change. And everything that we're doing from a strategic standpoint, you're hearing us talk about turning this into more of a mainstream concept. So we talked about Rogers diffusion innovation curve over time and how we think about pressing through that. We're starting to get into that early majority, but we're still kind of half, not even halfway through that early majority group. Um, so we do believe that there is a change going on in in, in pet food. Uh, we do look at where when we used to be the small fridge at the end of the aisle was for kind of the people that were like really really kind of dog you know, nuts in a way. Now there's multiple fridges in an aisle. And I think it starts to make a statement. Um, that starts to make a statement at retail. Um, our availability being more broad, it makes a statement. And I think the way we're talking about it to the consumer from our advertising and communications makes a statement that this is a mainstream idea. Um, so we do believe it's an inflection point. It's been happening for, for many, many years.
0: Thank you. Our next question is from the line of Ken Goldman with J.P. Morgan. Please hear your question.
9: Hi, good morning and thank you. Um, I just wanted to get a little bit better sense of how to think of capacity, or sorry, uh, CapEx between uh, now and, and sort of your target year, I guess, longer term of 2027. I, I think previously you'd sort of guided to maybe 250 million a year in 25 and 26. I don't know if you've officially kind of addressed or updated those numbers Um, Since maybe Cagney of 23, if I have, uh, or if you have, I missed it. I'm just trying to get a better sense, you know, as you kind of think of the rollout of certain plants and demand and and some efficiencies you've created, whether those are kind of rough numbers to factor in in light of, you know, the 210 this year or so.
3: Yeah. um, So the numbers continue to be fluid. Look, we try to to optimize consistently how we're spending and the timing of it all and where we're putting uh, the investment. Uh, I think right now we have not given updates officially. I think the way I think of think of it is it's going to be, okay, over the next several years, somewhere in that 200 to 240 range per year. Um, still too early to talk about what, exactly what the 25 number is. We're still making some final decisions there, but I think that 200 to 240 is probably a pretty good estimate at this point.
9: All right. Thank you for that. And then just to follow up, I think it was Brian's question on, on media spend, forgive me if it wasn't. but um, you know, I, I wanted to get a better sense of the maximum flexibility you had this year, right? And, and sort of that balance you have between the desire to building the brand over the long term um, and also not getting ahead of yourself on capacity, uh, organizational capacity, and and your uh, capacity to actually produce products. Is there kind of a minimum media number you'd want to spend for the year in terms of dollars, or is that not, not really the right way to think about it?
2: Yeah. Can uh, um, so you know we've typically guided to uh, increasing our media in line with sales. Uh, our long-term target is to be ultimately at nine percent of sales. So as we see situations where our growth is running a little hot and we need to manage within capacity, we would meter ourselves back, heading towards that nine percent to see you know how quickly we can get to that nine percent level. I don't foresee a circumstance in this year or next year where we would drop below a nine percent. Um, I don't. I don't see that being the case. But that's a, that's really the guidepost. Is sort of the nine percent to eleven percent range is sort of where we're trading in. Great. Thanks so much.
0: Our next questions are from the line of Peter Benedict with Baird. Please just hear your questions.
10: All oh, right, hey guys. Thanks uh, for taking the question. Um, Maybe, Scott, back to you on the consumer behavior. Now you said you hadn't seen much change at all, but maybe tilt back a little bit within your portfolio of products that you have, maybe how uh, consumers are responding to the innovation, to the additional SKUs that you guys alluded to um, per store. Just kind of curious on that and and how you – I know, you know, pricing uh, – next year's growth is going to be mainly volume, but how do you think about pricing and, and more about NICS um, as you think about 2024? That's my first question.
8: Yeah. So, so Peter, um, it has been a very interesting period in the industry where I think more people have quoted impacts around, uh, you know, changes in their portfolio and uh, people trading down, uh, people moving to some private label products. And there has been a little bit of, of, a, of a shift in the category overall. We really have not seen that at all. We haven't seen any significant significant effect in our business whatsoever around that. Um, so, I, I mean, I uh, I know that it's been very topical, but uh, I would say everything that we've kind of set out and planned, it's we are amazingly in line and consistent with our plans and how the overall model is performing. Um, we just haven't. We just have not seen uh, the, those mix changes on the new product front. Um, We have products on both ends of the spectrum from the the new product standpoint and what I mean by that is we have things on the highest end of our kind of cost to feed per day and some things that are more cost effective to feed per day. Both of them are performing and growing quite well. Um, Some of them are performing better in different formats um, than others, like in mass, we're seeing a little bit more growth on some of the more cost effective products and again that are margin neutral for us internally. Um, and, but we're also seeing good growth on some of the products that are on the very high end. So I, I think it's super encouraging that that's the, what we're seeing, and that's dynamic and the behavior that we're seeing from consumers at this point.
10: No, for sure, that's good color. Um, and this is a question on the broader category. I mean, you know, you guys are 96% of the measured category, but um, maybe give us a sense of where you guys think the broader fresh frozen category may be um, today uh, what kind of growth um, you would expect out of that cat- of the category over the next few years, and, and just the competitive dynamic. There's a lot of folks that have been coming in, uh, and then they start to cycle out. We've seen various levels of success. Um, so just kind of curious your your broader view of, of, of the category. Thank you.
8: Uh, look, I think that um... – we set out to do this a long time ago, over well over a decade ago, we set out to, to really build fresh pet food. Um, I think that there have been a lot of people that are kind of coming in behind us. It, it, I think we're very fortunate in the way we've constructed our business to still have around 96% of the total fresh frozen that's sold in brick and mortar. Obviously, we know that there's a a, a nice piece of direct-to-consumer business. It's a very, very different model and a different offering. Um, And I think they've done a really nice job building those pieces, but it has not inhibited our ability to grow. And we think that when we look at our model and how it's constructed and where the opportunity is, we continue to think that, um, you know, we we talked about a TAM of 43 million, you know, households. We're we're currently at, you know, almost, you know, 11.7, 11.8 million households we know that there is a long, long way to go and a lot of opportunity. Um, that's on the penetration piece. On the buy rate, I think if, as we've covered before, we think there's an opportunity to literally over a long period of time, over probably double our buy rate. Um, and that's over a long period of time. Within 2027, I think we have a $127 kind of buy rate is the one we have penciled in. Um, so that's kind of been our plan. Today we're at 96 and we're going towards like that 127 type number. Um, I think what you're starting to see is we talked a lot about these, these super heavy heavies or these hippo consumers that are coming into our business and that's been our focus. We think there's the opportunity to really continue to uh, improve buy rate over time. So I, I, I think both on, on both pieces, on both fronts, I think there's a, a lot of opportunity. The category's changing, it's been a fascinating time, and I think it'll be a really interesting next couple of years to see how it plays out.
0: Thanks so much. The next question is from the line of Mark Astrachan with Stiefel. Please proceed with your questions.
11: Hey, good morning, guys. Hope as well. Um, I guess, firstly, on, on HIPPO growth, it, it's exceeded household penetration now, I guess, the last couple of years, especially, um, in, in 23, if my math's right, nearly 30% versus overall household penetration, just under 20. Um, I, I guess if you talk about the, you know, the life cycle and conversion of those HIPPO consumers from first consumption of the category or from of the brand into a HIPPO, kind of how do you think about the opportunity of those that are casually using today? Can you accelerate that adoption? Do you need to bring in more consumers to the category? Um, yes, So, what do you see around those that really become hippos and those that drop off? That's the first question.
8: Yeah. So, so it's a, it is it's a uh, thanks you for thanks for that question. Um, if you look at our total increase in consumers last year, it was about 1.8 million households that we added. On the hippos, we grew that group by not over 900,000. Um, So, when you're growing your best consumer by, you know, like a significant amount, you know, 30, you quoted the number 29 or 30% versus prior year, so great growth rate there. But it's, it's becoming a huge piece of the developing business. And I think literally, Mark, just by getting our fundamentals correct, being in stock consistently, which we've had trouble over the last couple of years, but we do not anymore being in stock consistently and having incredible quality, great consumer experiences, continue to bring innovation to the category, broader availability, and also being available from on, an on kind of an online or e-commerce type perspective where people can literally go out on their phone or computer and order us, making it easier and more accessible for consumers. Those are all ways to really make it easier and facilitate hippos. Now, we see them come from two parts. One of them is some, there's groups of consumers that literally come in and they immediately become hippos within three to six months. Uh, they they've just changed, and that's their dog's food. The other group that we see come in um, and become hippos are people that use it as a topper and mix and mix more and mix more and mix more and literally start moving down the dry and up the fresh. And it's a different mindset because those people are replacing fresh with what was a wet behavior in the category. Where a lot of people that use wet food don't feed it exclusively, they mix it on top of dry. Well, with fresh, you can use it as your core and main meal. So we see that. HIPPO is coming from two different groups, um, and I and I believe that explaining it to people, seeding the thought, and just having our fundamentals correct is what
2: will kind of uh, help that over time.
11: Got it. That's, that's helpful. And then um, going back to, I think it was Ken's question, Todd, for, for you, I guess I'm surprised at the CapEx guidance sort of remaining the same, and maybe it's Sort of the, the leadingness of the, the question, but you talk a lot about maximizing output of existing lines, be, um, adding capacity to existing sites. You know, the Bethlehem example, where I don't think one was previously planned a few years ago, and now you have a new line. You're also developing um, new, more efficient technologies. So all of that being said, why are you still spending the same on CapEx? And I guess maybe the answer is, is that you're going to have more output than you originally expected, or is it less costly? I mean, I, I guess, sort kind of bridge that for me, please.
2: Yeah, yeah Mark, this is Billy. Um, so the, first of all, there's a little bit of a timing difference here. So the capital spending that we're doing between 25, 26, and 27 really has impact on the sales levels that we'll have in 26, 27, and 28. So there's a little bit of a timing lag here. Second is the technology that we alluded to. uh, We are very bullish on it, but we have not assumed any benefit from that in our long-term plan. So we have the spending there for it, but we don't necessarily have the guarantee that we're gonna get the higher level of throughput and efficiency we get. If we do, it's gravy to us. It's an improvement in the economics. And the same could be said of the improved um, operating effectiveness. We're very bullish on the work that's been done. Uh, and if we do get the benefits that we're talking about, then we are going to be we're going to have enough capacity to ramp the growth better or push more CapEx out. but at, at the same time, we just did not want to make the assumption that those benefits were going to come through. If they do, that's that's a net benefit to us. We're just being very cautious about planning capacity going forward.
11: Got it, that's, that's helpful. Thank you.
0: Our next question is from the line of John Anderson with William Blair.
5: This is you with your questions. Hey, good morning, everybody, thanks. Um, quick, quick question on the sales outlook for 2024. Um, we talked about 24% growth, largely volume-driven. Um, how, should we, um, how should we think about the mix um, a couple of different ways? You, you haven't really referenced um, your expectations for um, uh, fridge placement growth uh, or or store growth. Uh, at least, if you did, I, I apologize if I missed it. If you could talk a little bit about your expectations there for distribution growth through additional fridge placements, and then um, uh, from a channel perspective, it, you know, non-measured grew substantially faster than measured in '23. Is that a is, is that a dynamic that you would expect to persist in, in 2024 as well, and, and why? Yeah.
8: Mm-hmm. Yeah, let me, uh, let me touch on this. I'm, I'm sure Billy might add to it. But I, I, I look at this a lot, and I think it's interesting. And I'll try and be brief, but, but just from a perspective standpoint. So today, let me talk about grocery for a second first. So in grocery, we're 72% ACV, and we're by far the number one brand. All the other number one brands are in the 90s from an ACB standpoint, right? And that, and that's typically in four feet. So across grocery, we have 2,000 coolers, 2,000 double coolers, 2,000 stores with double coolers. So you start thinking about that. It's like there's upside in ACB, but think about the upside on the double cooler standpoint, especially because we are the leading brand. And total right in, in total dollar sales with leading brand and grocery and we only have four feet in most stores that I mean that's pretty extraordinary opportunity sitting in front of us and when we do add that so that gives us opportunity to add a, a wider variety of SKUs have increased presence in aisle um, so it's, it's pretty amazing now like now switch to mass for a second in total mass we have 200 double coolers that's in that's across Walmart and Target so the opportunity there is pretty amazing too. So we have uh, we have around 80% distribution in, in mass, but we have very few double coolers. So we think that the, the opportunity is not only on the ACV side, but on the double cooler side, that gives us broader visibility and aisle, it gives us more TDPs, more a variety of products. And the other thing is importantly, in a lot of these stores, more holding power. Because over the course of a weekend, especially on our, some of our key SKUs, they're constantly out of stock. And if we can add a second fridge, it allows us to have more holding power on some of those. So, you know, add all that with developing online, which we touched on a few minutes ago, Canada being years behind, um, the UK opportunity, et cetera, it's, it's uh, you know, it's pretty, it's we feel terrific about the opportunity from an ACV standpoint. Now, all that being said, um, the majority of our model is driven by same store sales. We typically see high teens and up to low 20 same-store sales growth uh, with, the, with like, existing stores, existing coolers. So that's the core of it. It's driven by the advertising, um, but there's so much upside uh, from an ACB and, and, a, and a growth from a cooler standpoint. Yeah. But, but you, you
2: talked Actually,
12: about... Hey,
2: hey, uh, John, just one other thing. On the unmeasured versus measured, we we are expecting to have unmeasured growth that would add about three-point store growth in 2024. Uh, in 2024, i call it at least three points. It was heavier than that in the fourth quarter, as you, as you can obviously see. We're in an awful lot of Costco's at this point. Um, we'll continue to see the benefit of that, particularly in the first half. It won't be quite as strong in the second half of the year
5: as we lacked the performance we had in the second half of 23. Okay, great. That's helpful. I'll leave it there. Thanks.
0: The next question is from the line of Brian Spillane with Bank of America. Please see with your question.
5: Hey, good morning guys. Good morning. Hey, so, so I just I wanted to follow up on, on one quick point. I think you just mentioned it in response to the last question in terms of, of um, you know, just out of stocks on key SKUs. Can you just update us now on uh, sort of where you stand on, on in-stock levels on a regular basis? And um, I, I guess what I'm really trying to dr- drive at is um, are out of stocks, um still impacting sales growth right meaning are, are you still leaving some on the table because you're you're out of stock at key periods on key SKUs? yeah
2: uh, brian um if there are out of stocks at retail it's a function of the high velocity in that store and the store's inability to uh keep the stock the fridge stocked at an adequate level Our actual shipments to our customers, we've been running in the 98, 99% fill rates very consistently since the beginning of this year, actually even in the last uh, back part of the fourth quarter of last year. And so there's not an issue with our shipments or supplying to the customers. It's really a matter of how well the stores execute on the replenishment of the fridges.
13: Thank you.
0: Our next question is from the line of Bill Chappelle with Truist Securities. Please see with your question.
12: Thanks. Good morning. Thanks for taking my question. Uh, Billy Scott, just kind of a asking a different different way. Why isn't capex going to be greater uh, over the next year or two? I mean, I guess going back to the original IPO, you know, the thought was, hey, we, we're going to build out. Uh, Bethlehem and then we're going to add one in the Midwest and then maybe we'll add another facility on the West Coast as more and more demand gets there. And you just talked about this year being an inflection point, how you're kind of going mainstream, how you could be 40 million households even before we get to UK and Canada. Why aren't we talking about another facility or something on the West Coast or stepping things up? And and I understand things and you've been more conservative on the existing, but If we're now at an inflection point why aren't we talking about the future
2: Uh, Bill, it's a good question first of all we as we described in the prepared comments um, the three things that we're doing to maximize the throughput on our existing footprint so first is on the existing lines drive up the OEs The, the second part is on each of our sites find ways to get more lines in them so we avoid having to construct all the infrastructure. Think of that as wastewater treatment facilities, central utilities, loading docks and whatnot. And the third part is investing in new technologies. Our assessment based on what we know today is that that infrastructure that we've got within the normal technologies we have planned can allow us to meet our growth goals all the way out until almost 2029 at this point if we maintain our growth at call it the 25% rate. The question then could be, why wouldn't you want to grow faster? And our comment on that has been, we have found we execute very well at around the 25% growth rate level, meaning engineering, staffing, um, organizational capability, design, construct, and start facilities, the ability to hire and train people. And if we were to push ahead and grow at an even faster rate, we think we might get ourselves in a little bit of executional trouble. And so we prefer to stay at that rate. And so if we stay at that rate, our existing footprint will meet our needs, we believe, until about uh, 2029, at which point we would need to look at another site if some if we haven't had another uh, some other technology change or any other form of intervention.
12: Got it. And I guess, kind of related, does that kind of put international, you know, somewhat on the back burner for the foreseeable future? Because I know you feel like there's still opportunity in Canada and the UK and in and, and other places in Europe. But you know you're going to be capacity constrained just to meet your existing need in the U.S. So is is that kind of the 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 way I should be looking at it, or you know would there be some additional capex if yeah. if you saw the you know the international starting to tip?
2: Yeah, uh, um, Bill, I should have put an asterisk behind that. All that was very focused on the North American business. Um, we've concluded over the last couple of years that our European business is a very robust and it's a very good opportunity, but supplying the business from the U.S. was not the most reliable. It wasn't really a cost issue. It was more of a reliability issue. So we are are in development on alternatives that would give us a more reliable source of supply coming out of Europe. But um, we have been very clear that if we were to do that, it would not be Uh, a greenfield operation on our own part, we would find a partner to do that with. And so we don't want to get any further than saying that, but suffice it to say, if we were to go down that path, it would be um, much, much lighter on the capital than what we are doing uh, to build up greenfield operations in the US.
12: Got it, thanks for the color. Yeah.
0: The next question is from the line of Michael Lavery with Piper Sandler. Please with your questions.
14: Thank you. Good morning. Morning. You've touched on some of the ways you're looking at better technology for for efficiency and and adding, you know, stuffing lines anywhere you can in, in the plants that you have. But can you give us a sense of how much opportunity there could be from... Longer run times and and just having a, a way to reduce changeovers is, is that something that could also have an impact and if so how how achievable or how how you know within reach could that be?
2: Yeah, um, uh, Michael, it's a it's a really interesting point because uh, we started up uh, in Ennis the second bag line in the fourth quarter of last year and it's now running at a uh, not full time but it's running at a pretty good rate. And we're starting to see some of the benefit that you're describing, because now that we don't have to produce the entire product lineup of bags on a single line, which forces you to do lots and lots of changeovers, that second line is much, much more productive. We're expecting to see a similar benefit when we start up the second rolls line in NS. And we already get that benefit in Pennsylvania, because we have six <clears throat> lines in Pennsylvania, and we use them you know very judiciously the high speed lines run you know long and deep runs and the smaller lines run you know lots of changeovers and so our belief is that as we build out the ns site and we get enough lines that we can be as special more and more specialized we think we're going to see a very significant benefit from that it is not modeled into our forecast going forward um, but we are already seeing early indications of that based on the startup of the second bag line in ns yeah so michael just to, to follow up on that Today, we have 12 lines in operation,
3: six in Bethlehem, three in Annis, three in our Kitchen South facility. You fast forward a couple years, we'll have over 20 lines. So to Billy's point, uh, you can imagine there'll be certain lines that will be just dedicated to just one or two SKUs literally. And then the efficiency that we will get off of that, uh, we believe there's a, there, there, there's a tremendous amount of, of upside, you know, and and we're you know constantly looking at the SKU mix to make sure they're optimizing that the portfolio as well to not put you know undue burden on our facilities. But um, we're we're seeing some early signs of the benefit of having that extra capacity, uh, and we think there's more to
14: come. And, and that is a benefit that you said you haven't modeled in, in, in terms of how you've g- given any of your targets or, or estimates no, going forward? No, not yet. Not yet. No. <clears throat> and then just to um, follow up on the complete nutrition launch, can you just give us a sense of how that's going and is it playing the role that you had hoped and expected and, and you know, uh, just, a, you know, an update on kind of how that's progressing?
8: Uh, yeah, it's actually done a little bit better than we anticipated, actually. Um, I, uh, so it's something we put in last year uh, to make the, the portfolio a little bit more accessible, a little bit more affordable to um, to consumers. Um, we wanted to react to what was going on in the market. Now, again, I want, I want to say that that is margin neutral for us. Um, but we were able to do some work around for, formulation in order to provide a great product that we're incredibly proud of. In fact, I, in fact, I fed my dog that last night. Um, and, um, and it, it's do, done, you know, quite well. Um, it's done exactly what it was designed to do, bring in, you know, new consumers into the, into the franchise. We're seeing, um, nice sales on it and we're seeing, we've also been able to see really nice amount of new consumers coming in and we know that they're trying that product. So it's, it's done what we've designed it to do and it's performing well um, to the point where we're even, you know, we'll continue to consider is there anything else around the portfolio we might do on that over time. But, but actually to the last question that was asked, um, we are, as we're adding things, we are decreasing our number of SKUs over the kind of the next 12 to 18 months. We're actually gonna bring down the end of our tail and clean it up so we can be more
11: efficient in our production.
14: Okay, great. Thanks so much.
0: Thank you. Our next question is from the line of Robert Moscow with TD Cowan. Please just hear your questions.
13: Hi, uh, thanks for the question. Um, uh, two two quick things. Um, you, you mentioned that your buy rate is now at ninety six dollars uh, a year, and you know you're bumping up against your household penetration target at, at you know, you're at nineteen and the target's twenty. And I think you've answered this in different ways, but, you know, doesn't that really mean that the buying rate this year will have to increase pretty substantially, assuming like, – if 20 is the number, you know, is, is this the year where buying rate really needs to increase? And do you have, like, a, a number internally as to where it needs to go? And then a, a quick follow-up.
2: Yeah. Uh, we've, we've always said, Rob, that the sort of the long-term algorithm here is that you have penetration growth rates in the 20, 21, 22 range, and then the buy rate be up in the, call it, 5, 6 uh, percent range, and that collectively gets you to the growth rate. So you're right. We do need to see that grow. Going back to Scott's comments earlier, a a big part of that is from the increase in number of hippos because they obviously pull the whole portfolio up. Uh, They're obviously a smaller share of the total business, but they do pull the portfolio up and so as we increase the number of hippos the buy rate will go up in addition to the consumers who are in the franchise but you're right we do need to see the the buy rate growing in the call it mid single digit range
13: okay and and then the follow-up is i didn't hear um any mention of repeat data uh today uh i'm sure it looks great but um you know th- this is a year where there was a lot of trial uh I, I, you were advertising a lot uh one of your competitors was advertising a lot You know, what what data do you look at internally to make sure that the people who are trying this for the first time are are repeating it at the rate that you would hope that they would?
2: Yeah. Rob, part of the reason we haven't uh, talked a lot about it lately was there's been a data source change on that, and it's kind of confusing to look at the two different data sources. Suffice it to say, in either data source, the repeat rates are continuing to be strong and growing. It's just there's a different metric, and we just need to get ourselves comfortable that the new metric that's available to us is, is you know, consistent and predictable. Um, but we are, in, no matter which source we're looking at, we're seeing that the, the repeat rates are in line where they've been in the past, maybe a smidge higher.
8: And if, you, if it was, if they weren't strong, you would definitely see that. You wouldn't see the hippos
11: growing like they are. Makes sense. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Our next question is from the line of Kanil Gajarwa with Jeffries. Please just hear your question.
6: Hey, guys. Good morning. Um, lots of conversation on managing growth to that 25% number. Can you maybe just talk about how you do that practically? Obviously, one thing that has been asked a few times is around media spend, but um, how do you do that in practical terms given where it seems like, demand, seems like demand is? Is it how are you dealing with your retailers, what the commitments are, um, just generally sort of the nuts and bolts of pulling that, managing that figure.
2: Yeah, by by far the single biggest driver of our growth rate and the thing that we have to do to manage the growth rate is to control the media spend. And so we're looking out across the year, but literally looking at it on a month month-by-month basis and quarter-by-quarter quarter basis, because we know that when we spend money like we did in the fourth quarter, while well, we saw some benefit of that in the fourth quarter, particularly on household penetration growth. The real impact of that is felt in the first quarter of this year because there's sort of a acquire a consumer and let the consumer start down the purchase uh, journey that they go through. So as we think about trying to manage our capacity, for example, uh, before our rolls line in NS gets up, the new rolls line phase two, we have to really manage the media spending that we're going to have in Q1, 2, and 3 in order to make sure that we don't get ourselves uh, in a position to do short shipping. And we literally look at it on a a monthly basis and on a quarterly basis. Uh, That's really the biggest driver. We don't really regulate what we do with our customers uh, because those plans take a long time to put in place but on both their part and our part. And so we really rather do is manage the the demand with, with our media investments.
10: Okay, got it, thank you.
0: Thank you. Our next question is from the line of Tom Palmer with City. Please receive with your question.
10: Good morning. Thanks for the question. Um, wanted to ask on the logistics side. It, it's been running lower than your long-term outlook assumes. I know last quarter you, you mentioned favorability, but as we roll into 2024, is I guess how do we think about this progressing? Um, and is 2024 kind of embedded in guidance more of a reversion to kind of the, the long-term target?
3: No, well, you know, year-over-year, year we we will have a decline in, you know, in the cost structure of our logistics. So, you know, we're benefiting, obviously, from less miles. Opening that second DC in, in um, Texas is paying huge benefits. Our, um, Billy mentioned our fill rates, our trucks are full, which obviously makes us more efficient as well. I mean, every, everyone's benefiting, obviously, from from lower diesel and lower lane rates, and that's always a wild card what that looks like in the future. But with a steady, you know, steady market rates, we think there's still some favorability to go. So, you know, will there be some inflationary impacts down the road? I'm, sh- I'm sure those rates will, will move around a little bit. But um, at this point, long-term, the 7.5%, we're very, very confident that we can do better than that uh, going forward.
10: Okay, thank you. Um, then just wanted to follow up on, on volume growth, maybe, Asking it a bit of a different way, right? You are ramping capacity as the year progresses, so I would assume the, the absolute level of sales increases sequentially over the course of the year. Is there a point, just given capacity rolling on, that we might see a bigger step up, just from a sequential standpoint, in, in one quarter versus another?
13: Nice
2: capacity. But I mean, the capacity, so we, we've guided our capacity to match up with what the normal sales patterns are. And the, if I understand the question correctly, the real focus here is that we're managing our roles capacity. Our business grows quite evenly across the whole portfolio. And so um, and as you think about the cadence for the year, I think the cadence is a very normal cadence. It's just the the one difference this year is with that we're going to start hot, but we're going to start very hot in the first quarter because of the media we spent in the fourth quarter. And we have to pull that down a little bit as the year unfolds to live within the uh, uh, capacity limit we have on that rolls line. I think that's the question you're asking, sort of the cadence. Is that where you're going? Yes. Yes. Thank you. That's helpful. Yep. Yeah.
3: Yes. Yeah, sequentially, every quarter, the dollar amount, you know, the way we see it right now, it will be higher. The growth rates will differ. And you know, we, we believe right now, just based on capacity, the growth rates will slow as as the quarters go on. But sequentially, the actual, absolute dollars will increase.
0: Okay. Thank you. The next question is from the line of Connor Radigan with Consumer Edge Research. Please proceed with your questions.
4: Hey guys, good morning. Thanks for the
0: question. Yep.
4: So, so you've mentioned wanting to increase household penetration, uh, convert users to hippos, and then convert toppers to main meal users. So I guess just stepping back and thinking about consumer LTV, could you maybe help us just understand where you see the greatest opportunity? So I know you'd love to say all of the above, but I guess if you were forced to pick or rank where you see the greatest opportunity, um, what would you rather see? Or uh, would it be a adding a commercial user, converting a user to a HIPPO, or converting a topper to a manual user?
2: Yeah, Connor, so the way I think about this is that when you're in the early innings of developing a category, as we believe we still are, then you really is gonna be focused on adding households, as ma- adding as many households as you can. And that's really the focus of the bulk of our media. As you get further into it, you will turn and focus your time and attention on increasing the buying rate within those households, um, and that is naturally happening based on the product assortments that we've got, the presence of second fridges and whatnot. Um, but the biggest driver for us right now is to get as many households into the into the fresh business, and then over time we'll migrate. That more toward buying rate but today at the early stages of this category development, we believe household penetration still is the number one most important driver.
4: Got it, makes sense. And then um, I wanted to touch on the commentary on digital orders as well. Um, so, Billy, I think you noted and expected about a hundred million in 2024 sales online. So, I'm not sure if I missed it, but did you quantify the current size of your of your digital sales and? Also, too, um, I'm just wondering, I guess, right, is the expectation that the continued growth in digital orders is just representative of adding incremental consumers who are, I guess, digital-only consumers, or is there some expected cannibalization or, I guess, migration from brick-and-mortar to online? Thanks.
8: So, I, I think there, the, main, the main way to think about that is that um, we want to be as available uh, to how as available as possible to however consumers want to want to buy our products. And when you make it easier and you make it kind of less friction, um, you're going to increase overall penetration, but you're also going to increase everyday usage. So as we add basically more and more sales um, around digital, what we're seeing is that we're just making it easy to shop how consumers are shopping. Um, and we're kind of following what we're the biggest piece of that is definitely um, when people are ordering whether fresh and fresh frozen food from their local stores um, when they're making those orders and and buying overall like for their uh, grocery trip We're getting included in that and as that opens up and more consumers are shopping that way. That's really the opportunity for us um, So it, it, it basically makes it a little bit more convenient uh, for consumers to basically shop around for us. Um, so I, I, I think it's both on the, this goes back to we're helping the mainstream, and it also turns it into more of a main meal. I think digital piece is a
11: real opportunity.
0: Thank you. Our next question is from the line of Jim Solero with Stevens. Please to see with your question.
6: Hi, good morning, guys. Thanks for uh, fitting us in. Uh, maybe to start off uh, a Combo question for Billy and Scott. In the presentation you guys highlighted, uh, I think it's 22% of stores have second or third fridges. Do you have a sense for how big that percentage could get to as you continue to ramp the second and third fridge offerings? And then I think, Billy, in your script, you mentioned SKU count was up to around 18 from 16 a year ago. Just you give us some detail on what those two incremental SKUs typically are? and maybe what you think that SKU number could be, again, as you continue to increase the second and third fridges?
8: You know, it's uh, it, it, every year when we look at this, we, we feel like there is a greater and greater opportunity to have second fridges in, quite honestly, most stores. So we were talking earlier, um, you know, we're, we're an average of 64% ACV or 72% in, I'll, I'll pick on grocery for a second, 72% in, in grocery, um, you know, ACV. And I think I mentioned that we have 2,000 double fridges in grocery. You know, it, it, I, there's, there's no reason why we couldn't be into the 80s in grocery 85 maybe 90 percent um, ACV in total and over some period of time there is no reason why we couldn't have second fridges in most stores because you look and what the way we think about this is this is a new category or a new segment and every you know if you look at dry, dry or wet it's basically in every single store and then it has a fair amount of space I mean you typically even a tight wet section is eight or twelve feet. Um, so why wouldn't there be that and fresh over time? Um, so that's kind of like our longer term vision. Exactly how it plays out and when? I mean, I, we have lots of projections and and lots of you know ideas around it. and and uh, we, but we, and we, we do believe that we will get there over time. But I want to go back to that's a great opportunity. The single biggest opportunity that we have is using our media to educate people creating awareness driving penetration, driving more consumers in. And I think I mentioned a number earlier, but same store sales growth is always in the mid to high teens, um, and that's tremendous. And, and it can, it definitely can touch into the 20s. Um, so that's really where the core of our growth comes from. Um, and when you add those second coolers, it creates that visibility, it creates an additional holding power, and it does create additional skews. We don't want to over skew we want to make sure we have the right SKUs to basically, you know, have a, I guess, a portfolio of products that consumers really appreciate. So we don't want to overskew. So we, I would see even in the double fridges, I would see no more than kind of twenty-five SKUs in the average store uh, to make sure we have enough holding power.
6: Okay, great. And then, uh, Todd, if I could sneak in a question for you uh, on the the margin front, you guys have made a ton of progress. You know, did a really good job this year. But if we think about 2027's kind of 18% EBITDA margin target compared to the implied margin for uh, 2024 at the midpoint, I think is 11. Still a lot of wood to chop between those two numbers. As we think about the annual cadence of getting to that 18% goal, when should we expect to see margins inflect more significantly compared to where we are now?
3: Yeah, I mean, look, uh, if you just do the math, uh, you know, we need another 10 points. Uh, so about five in gross margin and, and five below the base, based on the guidance we've given, we, you know, we'll get at least a hundred up top and then, you know, a hundred or so uh, below the line as well. So we're going to pick up a couple hundred basis points and, and get in double digits uh, for the first time, which, which is exciting for us um don't look i'm not smart enough to be honest to know exactly what that cadence is going to be just if we pick up 200 basis points or so over the next several years we'll get there um and as i just kind of said you know i've, I've said before if, if we're at 18 percent or 45 percent in 2027 from a gross margin or an ebitda margin line um i'll actually be a little bit disappointed because i do think there's upside not that we're promising more than that at this point but um, I think there's potential upside to those numbers, but if we can pick up a couple hundred basis points uh, or, t- you know, two to 250 every year of, of uh, EBITDA margin, we hit that target and there's the potential, if, we, if some of the efficiency work that we're doing pays pays off, uh, we can do a little bit better.
6: Great. Thanks, guys. I'll hop back in the queue.
0: Our next question is coming from the line of John Lawrence with Benchmark Company. Let's just see if there are questions.
14: Great. Good morning, guys. Thanks for uh, squeezing me in. Uh,
3: just just quickly, we talk about retailer
14: uh, growth and, at mass and grocery.
3: Can, can you speak to, at this point, as you continue to market to those retail partners, what, what continues to be their objection?
12: I mean, obviously, if you prove the model out, it works, a lot of same-store sales. What would be would be old facilities does when Walmart expands and builds new units are you part of that or what determines whether they
3: go or, or not go
8: uh, John uh, yeah thank you for, for the question on that too um, I it, you know it's interesting because I talk to the sales team I, I meet with retailers very often I talk to the sales team a lot and um, when you're rejected for a long, long period of time um, in you know 2006, 2008, 2010, and then you, the amount of love we get today, um, it all makes it worthwhile. Um, and and I and, and I'm being serious. And I would say the partnerships that we're building, how we're constructing this segment, how we're working with our retailers in order to make sure that this is a uh, important category for them, but also a productive category for them. I think is really, really appreciated, and I and I actually get that feedback pretty often. Um, so I, I would say that there's very few objections, and I think it's just everyone has a different pace they're going at it. So when do they set? You know, when do they do a major category reset? We're not like pulling an item in or a couple items in and out. You know, that's easy. You just slide it off the shelf. There's a lot involved in, a, in a, putting a fridge in and uh, you know in in, a, in one store it's not that complicated in hundreds or thousands of stores it gets really complicated so they typically want to do it when they're doing major category changes resets um because if we're going in other things have to go and they just want to do those things gradually there are times when you know you've seen it where they're literally moving around a whole store and what they don't want to do is drop a fridge in drop an electrical line in and then six months or a year later, go ahead, and move around the store, and have to do the same thing again. So I think it's just the you know it's just a, a nice steady stream and a good cadence that we're continuing to roll out with retailers. Um, I we really don't hear um, we really don't hear objections for the most part. Um, I mean we heard them for a very long time, but there's very very few today.
12: Great,
11: thanks guys. Good luck. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Our final question is from the line of Mark Tarenti with Wells Fargo. Please receive their questions.
5: Hey, good morning. Thank you for the question. Uh, just real quick, uh, building on the media discussion, maybe talk about some of the media efficiencies and effectiveness, what's working best here, and strategy plan throughout the year. And then you saw good operating cash flow progress in um, twenty three, how are you thinking about this growth through twenty four leverage levels and progress towards the longer term free cash flow targets? Thanks.
8: So um, it, you know it's really it is interesting. Um, and we've cycled through um, lots and lots of different media that we do. And the thing that we consistently find to be the most effective and productive, um, is, is a lot of, I will call it mass media, but we obviously do a, try and do a lot of targeting to different like, consumer groups. So uh, literally probably about 18 to 24 months ago, we started expanding our consumer target because uh, a, into kind of a male demographic and also a younger male demographic. And what you started to see probably is you start to see us show up on football, for example. We had not done it in the past because it not only a was it expensive, but b it was not the original target we were focused on, which was kind of was women for the most part. Now again, women watch football, obviously, but it's we ex- continue to expand. And what we did is when we expanded into football, we were able to see really good productivity. Um, and we were reaching new d- types of consumers and different consumer groups. Uh, I got a, uh, it, it literally, I got a, uh, a text message the other day from someone said, hey, I saw one of your commercials. We were on, we were on a golf, uh, some, uh, some, some type of golf. Um, and they said, oh, I hadn't seen this commercial. The commercial's been running for eight months, um, and they hadn't seen it, but it was new to them, which means that we're continually hitting some of these new people. So we use a lot of mass TV been our number one most productive piece. We have an incredible partnership with uh, the the Internally, but also an external team that does our media buying and we hold a very very high standard And I would say the level of analytics that we do behind it is second to no one in CPG quite honestly Um, We do also work with OTT and connected TV Um, We also do a lot in digital, Um, we're expanding more and more. We do definitely do social, we're expanding into social, and you're going to see us do more and more PR over the next kind of 12 to 18 months too. So we're definitely pushing into those areas. And our goal is to be anywhere between 6 to 12 months forward in what we're going to be executing. And what I mean by that is literally at the end of this year, I know the types of media and how we're going to test it The messages we're going to be delivering, and we want to test it before we get there, so we know we're being we're able to deliver on the productivity that the organization needs to continue to grow. So we try and be like really, really kind of thoughtful and very, very professional and planned out around uh, around what we're doing from a media and media investment and spending standpoint
3: yeah, from a cash flow perspective, look we were, were we are beyond thrilled about how strong the operating cash flow was in twenty in twenty twenty three obviously seventy six million dollars. Um, obviously, some of that was the EBITDA but also the working capital back in line. We had some issues in twenty twenty two when we went live with the ERP. We had a little bit higher working capital than we would normally have and we got that benefit back in twenty three. That was kind of a one time gain there. You know, I think from an operating cash flow going into this year, probably around 90 million dollars because, again, we're not going to have that benefit from working capital. And as I said, we're going to spend about 210 million dollars in CapEx. Uh, That implies the cash balance of almost 300 million dollars we have. End of the year will be around 180-ish is where we'll end uh, cash uh, for the year. So it puts us in a great position uh, for 25 and beyond.
0: Thank you. At this time, we've reached the end of the question and answer session. Now, I'll turn the call over to Billy Sear for closing remarks.
2: Great, everyone. Thank you very much for your interest. I'll leave you with this thought. This is from Helen Thompson. A well-trained dog will make no attempt to share your lunch. It will just make you feel so guilty that you cannot enjoy it. To which I would add, feed your dog fresh pet, and all your guilt will disappear as fast as the fresh pet. Thank you very much.
0: This concludes today's conference. You may disconnect your lines at this time. Thank you for your participation. Have a wonderful day.